Welcome to Navigating Nourishment. We are your hosts. I'm Debbie. And I'm Wendy. And we are National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coaches. In each of our episodes, we're going to navigate through all the overwhelming and controversial information in the world of health, wellness, and well-being. If you're tired of false promises and want honest answers and clarity, we invite you to step into curiosity to explore new perspectives and discover what works for your unique body and life. Well, we are so happy to have you. I'm delighted to see you again. It's been many years, but you have been instrumental and uh, your philosophy has been very instrumental in the way we coach and how we help our clients. And so we want to unpack it. And I know that Debbie wanted to, to formally introduce you. Well, it's wonderful to see you too, Wendy and Debbie. I see more often, so hi, Deb. Yes. (laughs) And I'm actually surprised it took me this long to ask you to be on our podcast, Jerry. So so I kind of apologize for that. So let me introduce you because you have wonderful things to say about you because you're one of my favorite people for sure. So I met Dr. Jerry Quirk and it was in 2008, soon after you arrived in New Jersey from Florida. And you were here to start a new private school for your grandchildren. And you founded the Jersey Shore Free School here in Little Silver. Well, it wasn't in Little Silver at first, but it is now. And that was in 2009. And my children were one of the first children to be a part of it. And thank goodness, that's changed my life completely. You're a practicing psychotherapist and you're an expert in educational leadership. But most of all, you are a vocal critic of traditional coercive education. And you are an advocate of the self-guided learning and the holistic learning that the Sudbury School model shows. And that's one of the primary reasons that we wanted to have you here is because of your wisdom about shifting from external to internal motivation in in personal decisions. And, And this is the philosophy that it resonated so much with me and sharing it with Wendy that has shifted our coaching over the years because we see the damage very clearly that society's focus on the top-down model and the external motivation model that has done for our clients and for everybody else in society. So people don't know to look to inside for the answers, which is where all the best answers are. And you've helped to train us to do that for ourselves and for our clients. So that's why I wanted you here to really talk about that and how you got to that place, Jerry, and how that amongst other things is where you do and how you work with parents and children in getting our society in a better place, I think. I'm so glad to be here. I love the work that you're both doing and what it's doing for people's health. It's amazing. Thank you. Well, would you kindly unpack what Debbie just shared? Because it's such a new philosophy for so many people because we grow up listening to everybody else tell us what to do. I mean, it's just, it's kind of how, how we operate. We haven't learned the skill set to really ask ourselves meaningful questions and what do I want? Uh, there are so many expectations in the world. How do we unpack this for people, for our listeners, so that it can resonate, so they they can start practicing this today? <laughs> oh, you're right, Wendy. We all grow up in that world. Debbie will tell you I use stick figures to talk to the kids about it, and I draw 
a stick figure with someone pointing down at the other one. And I say, where do you experience that? And of course the kids say, school first, home, Boy Scouts, sports. And basically what they're saying is all of their life, that's what we've learned is this um, top-down hierarchical model of controlling younger people. And most people who do it believe they're doing it for their best. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that once they truly understand why it's not for anyone's best, they're willing to change. But there are so few places still where they can learn that that is not the best way to live. And the better mm -hmm. way to live together is to be able to help people to find their guidance from within. It's a you know, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever level you want to look at, it's an unhealthy way to live, to be always focused on what someone else thinks we should be doing, we must be doing, whether it's coercive or or these ingrained messages of you should do this. You know, I, I once had a kid who said, yeah, shooting all over yourself, it's not very good. And that's true. That's what shoulds do to us. They cause us to get into not feeling well placed is the best way to describe it. When I ask kids to describe to me how it feels to them when they're dealt with like this, the list goes on and on of negative feelings. It makes them angry. It makes them feel like they don't matter. It hurts their feelings. It makes them sad. It embarrasses them. It shames them. But the funny thing is, when I ask adults the very same question, and I've done this for 30 years and asked people everywhere from PTA groups to prisons, and the answer is the same. It does not feel good to anyone to be the person treated like that. And I believe that the reason for that is that you live life feeling like you're a puppet on somebody's strings, a marionette being guided by these messages of how you should be doing this, that, or the other thing. Healthy people are guided from in here and find their answers when they want them from out there but not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most of our systems set up a belief in causing people to let go of what they know in here and listen to what some other has to say, whether the other is teacher, school, parent, system, boss. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good to anybody. Because it's not the way we were meant to live, in my opinion. Mm, that's right. Yeah, and we see it on our end. We see it in our business of health and wellness coaching. We see it as the diet culture. And we see it as in people always wanting the quick fix or want the answer of, you tell me what to do, you tell me what to eat, you tell me what am I supposed to do. And it's a challenge always where we say, well, when you eat that, if we told you to eat an avocado and you ate an avocado and you didn't feel good, you continue to you know, eat avocado because you think it's what you're supposed to do because the expert told you to. <laughs> Instead of saying, wow, that didn't feel good. Maybe avocados aren't good for me. I don't feel good when I eat avocados, but people don't do that. They'll continue to do what someone told them to do who was the expert out there. And I mean, to the it's detriment- It's so fascinating to me that you called it the quick fix. 
as you know, most of my research is in addictive living, not just addictions, but addictive living. The way we're trained to live in families of addiction, and I believe a very addictive school system model, and that causes us to believe, deep down to believe, that someone or something out there has our answers because we're told so often by the way we were taught to parent, by the way schools operate, that we know what's best for you younger people. And when we train children to believe that all their answers are out there, when they begin to have problems as young teens, they look out there for answers. Well, what's out there for kids to reach for? Alcohol, sex, drugs, shopping addiction, you know, you go down the list. And it's not those substances that are the problem. The problem, I believe, is that we've been trained in that way of living, in the way of living that believes our answers are outside of ourselves instead of in here. When a healthy teen has problems, they listen and hear to what doesn't feel good. They learn to talk about feelings. They learn to share on a level that helps them to heal. There's a lot in the literature in many fields right now about adverse childhood experiences and healing them as, as people age. And unfortunately, people who believe that somebody else has their answers never really are able to get that level of healing that's necessary to live their best life. My wish, of course, for every child is to grow up in a way that they learn to live their best life, whatever that might be. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story because it goes around Sudbury school circles a lot, but this is so indicative of what we're talking about. This is, I don't know if it's true or not because I've heard it so many times. A young student came to a new, as a new student in a Sudbury school, and he had been there a couple of weeks, and he was getting bored one day. And we love boredom in Sudbury schools because it helps kids <laughs> go within and figure what they want. It's very different from boredom when you're listening to a teacher that bores you. But um, so this little kid says to his teenage friend who he has met at school for a couple of weeks now, so I'm kind of bored. What do you think I should do? And the teen answers, I don't know, dude, do what you want. I'm not the person living your life. How would I know? Yeah. How different from what the average teacher, parent, leader of children in any way believes. We all grew up believing they know what we should be doing. And Sudbury kids know, no, it's your life. You're living it. You figure out what you want to do. And that's a big part of the learning because it's the learning to listen within, right. to deal mm -hmm. with boredom in a way that you know you have responsibility to change it. You have opportunity, from my perspective, to change it because that's a much better way to live on all levels, a much healthier way to live. You're reminding me of some language, and I don't know if you use this language, perhaps you don't, but I'm seeing a lot of in the world, not necessarily, well, sometimes with our clients, you know, sometimes we 
I want to use the word victim, you know, we're a victim to our environment or our upbringing or our surroundings. Maybe we're a victim to the community or that or our work life, that sort of thing. And I'm wondering if you use the language, uh, what what word would you use as opposed to victim in taking charge of your own life? How, how would you reset the language that someone could choose instead of thinking of themselves as a victim to their environment? What, what's, the, what's the mindset shift or the language to pull someone into a new space? It feels awful to feel like you're a victim, to really feel like you're, you're being victimized in any situation feels awful. Helping people to acknowledge that is important. But the second part of what's important is helping them and ourselves when we're there to acknowledge that it's really, really important to be kind to yourself, to be gentle with yourself. Nobody becomes a victim at birth. They learn it. And it's important for people to understand you have learned this behavior by being treated like this so much that you have shriveled something inside you that wants to break free but doesn't know how. Right. And the first and most important step is to help people to acknowledge feelings that it doesn't feel good to be there and to acknowledge secondarily that we all have, feelings don't control us. Another part of that belief system is that the feelings control us. That is not correct. Feelings do not control us. We are in charge of our feelings. And you can't go from feeling like a victim and feeling miserable to <laughs> happy as can be in a second but you can gradually acknowledge and move into a better and better and better feeling. And that has to do with the messages we tell ourselves. So I don't like feeling like this. I don't like feeling like food or my feelings are having control over me. I want to be in control of my life and in control of them. So what would feel a little better? maybe to eat something healthy and congratulate myself or to move to a slightly better feeling and then a slightly better feeling than that. That's the way out of victim mode is just up the ladder of better and better and better feeling until we realize that when we feel like this, it's wonderful. It feels good. Mm -hmm. And we have the choice whether we want to go back to that feeling victimized place again and it's really important i um, love your image of the ladder also because people people's expectations of themselves have rungs that are really far apart <laughs> and they can't reach them and debbie and i also practice this you know let's let's feel a little bit better and get to the next rung and feel a little bit better with some wins that and acknowledge it and congratulate yourself and feel proud of yourself because it feels good to feel proud of myself that mm -hmm. I got a little higher. Ah, mm -hmm. we don't celebrate enough each other. I don't think 
that celebration, I think we could uh, work on that a little bit. I agree. And women celebrating each other. Yes, for sure. Yes, indeed. I think also what you're talking about too is that people, we're not trained, we're not taught early on to trust ourselves. We're, and that's that top-down model. We're not, we're taught to, to not trust ourselves, to be true to, you know, it's, we're taught that someone else knows better for us. And so we go through life, not trusting our own decisions or our own feelings, because we were never taught to do that. Or if we were, we're born like that, but we're taught to not be like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're, we're, Debbie, I have worked with clients in their eighties, who when I say, well, how did that feel? They don't know. Exactly. Because they are so externally referenced in everything they do and feel that, you know, it's like, well, I'll ask my husband or, you know, it's, it's very sad, but it's a very subtle process. I've seen it with children visiting the school. When a child's been in school too long, it's very different than a child who comes who's never been in traditional school. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, once you know what you're looking for, you see the difference right away. Parents don't trust me to do it for myself. How am I going to? And then when I go to school and they don't trust me to do it for themselves, they tell me they know better what I should learn. How can I figure it out for myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All these kids that have come through the school, you know, in all Sudbury schools for over 50 years now. Almost all of them have gone through school with no reading class, and yet they all read and get into college. Well, <laughs> what's wrong with the picture when we believe that they must be taught to learn how to read? And also at a pace that might not be right for that particular child. I'm one of those that got uh, schooling because I moved around a lot as a child. And so once schools, you know, where they wanted to put me in school based based on my reading level, you know, in which grade I would go in. And my my mom really had to advocate for me for, you know, keeping me where I was. It was formidable for how how I thought about myself. Yeah. And I've had to unlearn that feeling that I got from a very young age saying that I wasn't good enough. So I had to be over here in this, in this group. So, yeah. that, so reading, you just touched on, a bit, you know, something that was tender for me. You when, know? Yeah. And thousands upon thousands of other people. And it is, it, destroys self-confidence it you know we see self-esteem plummet in children around second or third grade when they're told in either verbally or non-verbally you don't measure up well what does that say to the child that believes that's who they are not their reading score you right. don't measure up is <laughs> you know yeah. um well, and and then we and then we take that with us and and I've been able to shake that and learn that out of my system and I read and write actively now just <laughs> just for the record I've, I've worked on myself for that but then you're talking about measurement and we take it into adulthood and be and still measure ourselves in all things and this measurement and comparison <laughs> that we have keeps us always 
from language that our clients use, always wanting and thinking that our size or our look or our status isn't okay. And to walk around not feeling okay regularly. We wonder why kids do it to each other over their sneakers or their whatever. And do you know, I have never seen kids in Sudbury schools do that. I've only seen it for all the years I worked in public schools because that's the measurement system. Sudbury is the, like there is no measurement whatsoever. One of my former students who did not read a word until she was 13 years old, like could not read till she was 13 and nobody cared because she was great at other things and finally learned to read and ended up going to college on full academic scholarship and including room and board and everything because of her other interests that she developed when she couldn't read. And it's fascinating to me that we ever developed that measurement system to measure children, but parents didn't do it. Industrialists did it. They did it because they wanted children trained to be young teens and adults who could go work in their factories and make money for them. So they needed to be measured and follow directions and sit still and do as they were told. And I believe that loving parents were able to start their own school system and it never looked anything like it does today. Mm. But it's got to be parents who were not schooled themselves. Mm. Right. So I keep telling our students, so when you all are parents, you're going to start a lot more of these schools because (laughs) you have to be unschooled, untrained in in those hierarchical belief systems to be able to really pass it along as you guys are doing because you untrained, unschooled yourselves, you're able to do it in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and we have to say, it's much harder to unschool yourself as an adult than it is as a child. You know, it starts at such a young age where we're denied our uniqueness. And that's one of the founding principles of our practice is how unique everybody is. We're all so unique and our needs and our wants and our feelings and our everything about us is unique. So you can't possibly get the answers out there that are going to be appropriate for you always because you're different than everybody else. And that's how the traditional education model runs is that everybody needs to do the same thing, fit into the same box. And that doesn't work because we're not the same. And this is the damage that we're seeing in our adult clients and our middle-aged adult clients, the damage that's been done over the years of trying to fit into that box mm-hmm. over and over again, whatever, whatever box it is, they're trying to fit in the box and they don't ever fit. And so they're never going to be enough. They're never going to be good. They're never going to know the right answers because they don't always fall into these boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's, we're undoing everything, trying to undo everything that's been done. And you're you're starting with the kids so that we don't, hopefully we don't have a job doing what we're doing. <laughs> you know, we'll be extinct because of these oh. new people coming up and being able to figure it out for themselves. I'll tell a story about Debbie because I remember when, and I've told this to Jamie, her daughter, and Jamie doesn't even remember it because she didn't even know it. But Debbie, being a health nut, 
was totally concerned when, when Jamie was liking candy as a young girl. And I said, just leave it alone, let her come here, wait and see what happens. Today, Jamie is one of the healthiest, best eaters I have ever met as a young woman. Because <laughs> she found it naturally inside herself by listening within to what felt good to eat and what didn't feel good to eat. And that's so much better than the mom saying, don't eat that, that's too much sugar. You know, it just, it's a, a much easier process, a healthier process, and they hold on to it for life when they've come yeah. to it themselves. Yeah, that's right. And we 100% see that with our own clients when they finally have an aha in the office or in with with group members and they realize how they have either restricted themselves and then become, you know, like the yo yo, you know, they've restricted themselves so much. And then they bounce back and they get back into old patterns. And, and as soon as they let go of the restrictions and let go of what they quote unquote should be doing and start really, how does it feel when I have the avocado? How does it feel when I move my body a little bit more? How does it feel when I actually don't go on social media and watch the news all the time, you know, and it's, it's unlearning the patterns because we're so disconnected from how we feel all the time. So do you have any suggestions, practical ideas for people? Is it checking in with themselves throughout the day? Like, is it journaling? Is it? What's really helpful, there's a process that, you know, is, is done with a journal, but it's writing to your inner child with your dominant hand. So I'm right-handed. So I write, dear little Jerry, I feel like I don't even know how you feel. Will you share with me how you're feeling right now? Just tell me. And you let your non-dominant hand answer you. Mm. And you'll be amazed what the child within says to us from that non-dominant hand, because it all, I won't tell you because you don't care about my, I've gotten things like that myself in this, that I've done this for years and years personally, when I'm stuck with anything, I do this because it's, it's the child within that's stuck. It's some kind of a, something from childhood usually. And right. that to, is a to journal because most people having been brought up in the, traditional system journal from their head mm. and change happens from our feelings place mm -hmm. and so if they can write to themselves like why are you getting stuck today and not eating because I just want to treat once in a while okay then I hear that from the child within and I find a way to give myself a healthier treat than normal now, I might not eat the whole gallon of ice cream, but I might let myself have a cup of ice cream, and that's okay because it's a step up the ladder. Right. Because right. in no time at all, that person will let go of the ice cream. I love this idea because it's an environmental change, right? It's it, you're ourselves enough to listen to the hurt child within any problem that we have in life, whether it's food or sex or drugs or alcohol or relationship, it's always from the hurt child within. So I, I love the writing to the child within process because 
doesn't cost anything. You can do it in privacy. You can acknowledge to your friends or your coach as much as you want or as little as you want, but you can see yourself improving all the time and that feels great. I've had some of our teenagers do it here and tell me it's really helped them get through some pretty tough things that they've dealt with. Yeah, yeah. I don't push anyone to do it. I encourage, I tell them it, it helps me of and course. feels good. And you'll be surprised. Your inner child will really surprise you. <laughs> and it's really fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine too that it takes some discernment, some concentration, a little bit more of an effort to write with the other hand so it shifts the environment in like some sort of synapse changes so you're out of the groove that you're always in with your dominant hand and yeah. so it's changing right to yeah. get to this, this new place i i am gonna try it because if you try it yourselves when you recommend it to your clients you'll speak in a whole different way about it because it it works so well that's mm. and it's so surprising what you get sometimes yeah anything from thank you for listening to me thank you for caring to you never listen to me why don't you pay attention to what i want here <laughs> cool yeah. yeah you know something else i wanted to touch on that you influenced me for sure and we have it right now with several clients right now who are what we call people pleasers and you you early on talked to me about about the kids who are the good girl and the good boy. So tell us more about that and the damage that happens that with that. Because these, these are the ones that fly under the radar. The school system cares more about the acting out kids that are a problem to them. The kids who, you know, throw something because they're so angry at what's going on in school. But the children, from my perspective, who are the most at risk are the kids who work for the pat on the head from the teacher or the parent or whoever, because they're the children that are set up for real victimization because they have been totally and fully and completely trained in listening out here, doing the shoulds, caring about doing the shoulds, wanting to please, and they are tremendously at risk, not just for eating behaviors, but for all types of victimization. You never find the angry kids getting victimized really easily. They have other issues that, you know, we deal with in anger management, but the people pleasing is, it's soul destructive. And mm -hmm. so I really encourage people who have grown up like that and have been trained in the people pleasing to one first understand, just like I said before, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when I'm doing what everybody else wants, what everybody else says. It truly doesn't feel good. And maybe I can get that by asking my inner child, does that feel good to you? And get the truth. No, it does not. And then to be gentle with themselves and understand that that is not who they are. That is who they were trained to be. Mm. Somebody was pulling the strings, liking it because it made their job and their life easier when you were doing what they told you 
and what they said you should do or how you should be. Like that teenage boy said, it's your life. You're the only one living it. So you're the only one that knows. And to want to reclaim that is hopefully where we can show people that for me, there's no changing any addiction, whether it's food, drug, sex, whatever the addiction is, until people really deeply at that level want to change it. Because otherwise, they're people pleasing us, their therapists and coaches and whoever that wants them to give up this problem behavior. But when it's people pleasing, it doesn't work because they want to please us. Right. And so getting them through that process of acknowledging that it does not feel good to be a people pleaser is the most important part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I have another image I just wanted to unpack. And I think your description of the handwriting exercise, it could be where this goes. But as kids, we had temper tantrums, you know, and we articulated, you know, we screamed and yelled and kind of got it out of our system and then went and back to the playground. You know, we sobbed, we yelled, and then we moved through what we were doing. And then we finally, you know, it's it's as though we were able to express it and then go back and play in the sandbox. And <laughs> society doesn't let us do that, you know, have tantrums mm-hmm. as we grow, you know. And so the tantrums come out in these other self-destructive ways. Do you have any ideas for coping mechanisms for, and this is a really loaded question, but coping mechanisms for when we want to throw a tantrum and we go eat a box of donuts instead or or something like that because it's because we're actually trying to shift our environment and shift the feelings trying to cover them up and change them into something that gives us some sort of immediate pleasure because the child got immediate pleasure just and going back to playing i'll start with parenting that little child, and it'll show you what to do with adults. When a young child who is at that nonverbal stage is throwing a tantrum, we put the feelings to it. So you're feeling really frustrated or angry or, you know, and help them acknowledge the feelings so that they identify them and, you know, allow the feelings like parents have been taught to, oh, my goodness, don't let your child have a temper tantrum. What will everybody think of you? Parent. That's not the issue. Parents are here for their children. Who cares what the world thinks? Children that are nonverbal express like that. And it's our job to help them to put the words to the feelings. So when an adult has not had that happen in their life, which is most of us, because most of us were told not to do that by some adult who really thought they were doing the best for us. Mm -hmm. Parents think they're doing the best when they stop it with their children. Teachers think they're doing the best. But unfortunately, it's not what helps the child then. So when people still do it as adults, I would teach them if I were in your shoes to reparent themselves in terms of food, to be that parent who let the little child within have their temper tantrum and help them name the feelings. And the important part of that writing exercise 
is that we are joining with the child within us in a loving parent relationship. The current adult is talking to her child within in a loving, caring way. And the most loving thing we can do for a child is to hear them when they're upset and hear that they're feeling angry or frustrated by X, Y, Z. And you don't have to do anything more about it because you trust that once they acknowledge what it is, they'll be able to do it for themselves. Unpack that. That's a very different process than most of us learned as parents or teachers or whatever. We learn to stop it because it's terrible. They shouldn't do that. That's embarrassing to mom. And oh my God, versus right. mom who loves the child, understands no child throws a temper tantrum unless something has happened. Help the child to acknowledge their feelings about what happened before they even get to the situation of what happened. And then trust that once they got the feelings out, they can handle the situation. If they can't, they'll ask for help, but don't give it till they ask for it. So an adult acknowledges their child within is going nuts, not being able to eat the ice cream that she really wants. She can figure out how can you move that to a better place? Trust that whether we're writing to ourselves or whether you're teaching it to your clients to do, they want to trust that once the adult in them has heard the child in them and what the issue is that has them so frustrated or so angry, that once they acknowledge that feelings first, situation second, they'll be able to do something about it to get to a better place because all human beings are capable of moving themselves to a better place. That's right. the truth. And we've, we've not trusted ourselves, but we, the, the truth is that we can. We live in this punitive model. And I'm thinking of how, and I didn't know any better with my firstborn, my, my son Ty, when he was little and he acted out and we put him in timeout. And I learned later that it wasn't the best thing to do. You know, I didn't acknowledge his feelings. I just didn't like how he was acting. And so our solution was to put him in timeout. It never worked. He, right. It didn't stop him from acting out because he wasn't, he wasn't listened to. He wasn't heard. And yeah. so I learned through you. And until I learned to, we do our best. Exactly. We know better. We do our best. Right. Yeah, that's but, a, but the, that model, that punitive model continues in us squashing our feelings, like stop crying, stop feeling like that, stop it. Like it's, we, we, we don't, it's not safe to hear people express feelings. It's scary or whatever it is. And that's our, that's the societal model we live up in is this, it's either punitive or it's stifling feelings because it's uncomfortable for people. And so people learn to push in and, and ignore. And the people who were uncomfortable hearing your feelings trained you not to have them mm. rather than say, I wonder what it is in me that makes me uncomfortable around. Right. 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 Yeah, that's exactly right. But it's so true. We all learned methods and models and that's why I said early on, it's so important to tell everyone, we all have to be gentle with ourselves as we realize our mistakes. 
and as we learn and do better and hear about new ways and better ways. Yeah. But it takes courage to change ourselves first, to change our family second, to change our way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage and we need to congratulate ourselves for taking the first step for people even contacting you to say, I want to do something about my health. Yeah, right. That's right. true. That's how I feel when people come to school. It's like, yeah. I love parents who are dealing with their own stuff and starting to see that, whoa, I don't want my child to get that. I want it to change. And right. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, the world gets better by the day for every person who makes those kinds of decisions. They're, we're all making the world a better place every minute of every day. Oh, I could speak with you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to have you come back for a part two, but I, you've unpacked so many wise ideas and gifted our listeners some action items that they could practice with themselves and also with their family. So thank you so much for sharing all of that, that you have. So valuable. It's amazing how parallel everything is. Like everything I've learned from having met you and your model and how I've taken it and brought it to our practice and, and coaching it myself now. And it's between the two of us, the three of us, we've changed many people's lives. And so hopefully people who are listening to this, there'll be a ripple effect, you know, and this is, this is what we're going for is that we just want more and more people to understand how to be a better person so that they can help raise other better people. <laughs> and, and that's, it's all about love. The, the love is, is just spreading and we're all doing our little parts and, and loving ourselves helps us to acknowledge what we have to do for us first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we loved you coming on our podcast. Thank you for being with us here at Navigating Nourishment and uh, we wish you well and we'll have to circle back with you again. Thank it's you so much, Jerry. My pleasure, and I'll look forward to it, Wendy. Bye. Bye-bye. Anything you want to say? Maybe every time I talk to her about this stuff, it's like so right on, and we just see the results of all the stuff that our society has done to people over the years. You know, we see it. I mean, the, the good thing about our practice is that the people who come to us are in a place where they've realized that the, all the answers from out there aren't working for them you know that we you know we we're that last not the last step but we're one of the last steps because they've come to us knowing okay i'm ready to be coached now i'm ready to to find the answers within me with a little bit of help and that's and all of that is exactly we're doing exactly what she's doing we're doing with the adults what she's doing with children so. it's a beautiful thing thank you so much for introducing it to the practice, because I think, I think it's working. I think it's working. Yeah, I do too. It, it's helped me. It's helped me as a person. I think it's, you know. Definitely. It's not Definitely. Yeah. And we need, I think too, and we need the reminders. I think that we can get caught up in the world. We can yeah. just get caught up in the world as we've spoken with our groups lately so much that we get distracted and lose concentration on our inside. And so yeah. 
practicing listening to ourselves is it's a real hopeful idea to be able to say that we can practice it. Right. And it is a practice because we it we're taught that it's so ingrained in us our whole lives, you know, and for for us for the first whatever 40 something years before we started practicing this way, that's how we lived. And so to undo that, it doesn't it doesn't just happen. And it's always there. Even if we are practicing it regularly, it's still there. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, oh, no, no, that's not, I don't need to do that. I can do this now. Right. So it's, it's, but it's, it's a continual practice. It's not, it's not something that you, that gets done. It's not. <laughs> right. We just, never get to the top of the ladder. We just keep climbing <laughs> and we see a new view, right? There's a new view. New view right? It gets prettier and prettier and it gets easier and easier, but it still yeah. keeps going. Ah, <laughs> yep. oh, that's great. That's, uh, yeah. Fantastic. If you've liked what you've heard, please share and uh, pass this along to your friends and family. Thanks for tuning into Navigating Nourishment. When listeners take a few seconds to subscribe and leave us a review, it really helps our podcast grow and to create more clarity around personal well-being. To get more rich content and to become part of our exclusive podcast community, join our private Navigating Nourishment Facebook group. Thanks again so much for listening. Stay curious, keep learning, and keep exploring.